Welcome to the Level 10 Podcast. I'm Chris Gould, wholesaling and entrepreneurial expert. The Level 10 Podcast is focused on interviewing top entrepreneurs across multiple industries to identify what makes their businesses successful. Head over to level10official.com to learn about our courses, coaching, and much more. Welcome to the Level 10 Podcast. My name is Chris Gould. My guests today are Tiffany and Josh High, the founders of Results Driven, the premier REI education company in the country. I know you didn't, you're not claiming that. I'm claiming it for you if you haven't. <laughs> <laughs> they also own Heels Homes based out of Columbus, Ohio, which acquires and transforms residential real estate properties into high performing assets or flips. Together, they have built an industry standard systematic approach that allows entrepreneurs to scale their business by delegating tasks, lowering lead costs and overhead, all while increasing bottom line profits. Their focus is helping entrepreneurs scale their business with a lean team and proven follow-up processes. And I can personally attest that this has been absolutely true. I mean, my business has improved dramatically since joining up with you guys. I mean, when we first started, we were losing one out of every two deals and now we're closing 90% of what we bring in the door. So it's been that's awesome. That's awesome. huge, huge improvement. So really happy to have you guys on the show today, Tiffany and Josh. Thanks for joining. Yeah. yeah, I'm excited, man. Yeah, thanks for having us. So it's, uh, it's our pleasure, and I and I appreciate the the whole premiere tag too. Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I haven't heard it, but hey, I'll take it. I mean, I've I've spent a couple of years like in and out of masterminds, and you know, one thing I think you guys do really well is you underpromise and overdeliver. Um, you were like, we're gonna do sales call reviews, and we're like, okay, that's kind of a nice like added thing, I guess. And then it becomes like the cornerstone of kind of what we're doing now. And, and, um, cause there's just so much over promising and under delivering out there in the education space. So, um, yeah, really grateful to you guys for what you've, you've done with that. Yeah. Well, yeah, we, I appreciate it. We definitely appreciate the feedback. For and I'm sure. looking forward to seeing you this weekend. <laughs> yeah. 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 How many folks are going to be, um, be at the bash? Um, there'll be a mixture of like vendors, staff, you guys. So there'll be around like 60 ish. Got it. That's going to be really fun to finally meet. And it's everybody. supposed to rain, so this should be interesting. Oh, okay. It's not supposed to not be a washout. But not, not all supposed, day. But... Yeah, we'll we'll have some sunshine. All right. We well, I will have... say this: last year it rained for a little bit, mm -hmm. and then it was a beautiful day. I, I'm telling you, the most fun I think we've ever had. Yeah. Ever. Yeah, I can see people dancing in the rain to the DJ. Yeah, I, no one yeah. cared that it rained. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're gonna be wet from the lake anyway. So, right. Um. Well, you know, one of the things I wanted to start out asking you guys is. When did you decide you wanted to start an education business and why did you do that? Um, we actually didn't decide to do it. Um, a few years ago, we had uh, basically had to rebuild our company from scratch. Uh, that was probably four or five years ago now. And then a few years ago, a bunch of rehabbers and friends in the marketplace had came to us and said, man, we watched you literally scale up, have to stop everything you were doing, rebuild the thing to where you're at today. Can we come in somehow and figure out like how to copy your systems? And so I said, you know, why don't I just throw together a four week thing with you guys? I'll do it live. And, you know, obviously I want to value my time. Um, so it's been the same price ever since day one. And, you know, I did like 10 people on month one, and I thought I was never going to do it again. I thought it was just like this one time helping my friends thing. And then, uh, you know, another friend told a friend and I had, I've been doing that four week virtual group live for monthly for three years now. Um, and then what happened was about, you know, 
four or five months into that, that same original group said, man, I need to come in and see how you're building your team. Like you guys continue to grow. And so I said, all right, well, we'll try to throw together something for two days if you want. And then they all flew in. Um, and we, then me and Josh just loved it. Like we started having a blast doing it. And we had just gotten done being in a lot of masterminds where we felt like they, like you said, they overpromised all these things and we didn't get delivery on all of them. And I just made a commitment to myself then that, Hey, if we're going to do this, like we need to do it in a way that we wish we would have had it. Mm. And if it's, um, if it doesn't make sense financially to do it, then we won't, but let's give it a shot because we have built this the complete opposite as what most educators do. Most of them focus on marketing and sales. And we went into the approach saying, we're going to put pour all of our money into fulfillment. Mm. And so we just said, Hey, if we can fulfill on people and make sure that they get results, then, you know, marketing will be much easier on us. Mm. And that's really the approach we took. Um, and, uh, and then like a year into it, you know, people were asking us for one-on-ones and, we did a couple, but it wasn't super fulfilling for us. Um, I just felt like we couldn't impact that many people if we were just doing these one-on-ones. And so we thought, well, how can we add value to the people that were in the same shoes as us? And that's really how we came up with the team building and coaches taking on call audits and all the stuff of the wish list we wish we had when we were in other groups. Mm. And it's just taken off from there. So. Wow. And I, I feel like I've never seen a, I've seen you post on Instagram, but I don't think I've ever seen like an advertisement for you guys. Yeah, no, I still haven't spent any money on marketing other than obviously, you know, I get some edits on my videos and stuff like that. Sure. Um, we have, we definitely don't need it yet. Now, not to say like, I won't do it someday. We just like, haven't needed it. We've been really focused on if we can keep our current clients happy that they'll refer a friend. Um, and I would rather even pay my own clients a referral fee versus putting it towards a marketing dollar. Sure. Um, because you just, you get much higher quality people in the door. And then when someone attracts a friend, like you're surrounding yourself with like-minded people within the community. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that a lot. I feel like, I mean, we came in as a referral and then I told my friends from my old mastermind, I think they all left that mastermind and now they're with you guys. <laughs> um, but yeah, the world word of mouth is definitely more powerful way to do it for sure. You'd mentioned um, the story about walking in one day and you guys just said, I'm done and letting everybody go. Like, can you talk to me about the conversation you guys had before that moment took place? And then, you know, that takes huge balls to do that. So like, I would just love to hear that story. You know, actually that's, that's a unique question that nobody has asked us about. Like how, what was that conversation like between us beforehand? Scary. Um, yeah. I mean, ultimately I'll, I'll never forget. We were sitting in our conference room. We were kind of like crunching some numbers and, and ultimately we just made the decision. We looked at each other. We said, this is miserable. Um, we hate doing what we're doing and it's not worth it. You know, if, if anything, you know, I, I, what ended up happening was we decided this is not worth it. Let's call some people who have been here, who have done this and get their thoughts. So Tiff actually got on the phone with a mentor of ours. Which by the way, I was bawling my eyes out, <laughs> pacing up and down my street. And really the reason why we didn't like what we were doing was because it was a mixture of, you know, I didn't like build all my systems the right way. So 
it was a mixture of people not being core value fits on my staff on top of the fact that I was running a hundred miles an hour and wasn't perfecting my foundation. So not only was I not giving them all the right tools and resources, and then you couple it with people that some, not all of them didn't, they weren't core value fits. Like it was just like a recipe for disaster. And, um, it was just like awakening call where I just said, we're either going to, you know, close up shop or we're literally going to start over and do this the right way. And so I was walking up and down the street, called a mentor of mine at the time and just said, like, here's my two options. I'm either letting go of everyone and going back to my corporate career because I just can't do this um, or I'm going to start over. And the biggest piece of advice that he gave me at the time was like, well, you already screwed everything up. So you already <laughs> know what not to do at this point, And, you know, the mistakes that you made along the way and why don't you start over? Because now you understand that you need a solid foundation. And by the way, when people, I feel like, you know, when I talk about the importance of building a team and core value and culture fit being your top priority, I feel like sometimes people in any industry feel like that's just fluff and they don't take it serious. And they just think it's like this, like fluffy conversation, but it's the core of who we've become. And the culture within our environment of our office is what keeps attracting talent to our staff. Mm -hmm. And so we focused heavily on core values. Like we educated ourselves around making sure that our core values were everywhere. How do we ask the right questions? How do we interview differently to weed out people um, to make sure that we don't miss something along the process? Because once you get them hired, it's like a whole process to go through if it doesn't work out and it's miserable. Mm. Um, so we've just really, I don't want to say perfected, but I feel like we have a really thorough interview process now where within the four interviews that we have a pretty good gut feeling if someone's going to fit into our culture or not. Yeah. Um, and so we just took a chance and said, screw it, let's do it again and listen to our mentors. They know more than us. And we had like 20 grand left in our account or something less than that, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, and we moved in with Josh's mom so that we could afford to keep going mm -hmm. and we just took off. So that's, that's amazing. Um, day, day zero after that, you guys wake up, you look at each other, everyone's fired except you two. Felt good. If it feel good. Yeah. How do yeah. you rebuild from there? Like, what did you, how do you set up the roles? And it's just like, everyone's gone. That was supporting, even if it wasn't good. Right. Well, the first thing we did is we were on the phone literally from 8 a.m. till 9 p.m., six days a week for at least two months straight. And mm. the sole focus was generate revenue, mm. generate revenue, and then we could build a team later. Um, so we actually kept two of those team members at the time. So it was four of us at that point. And literally all four of us were on the phones, just cranking it out. Um, but, you know, at the same time, we took a step back and, and uh, we actually brought in another mentor who had built multiple sales uh, companies, multi-million dollar sales companies. And uh, he helped us structure a lot more of what we, what really what shaped us today. Mm. Um, I'll let so you talk he helped us that. build out like the fact that you should have, you know, a career path for sales and they go from a follow-up specialist and they get groomed into a closer. And the whole fact that we can bring in talent, like different level of talent and groom them with better training. Hmm. and really put our core focus time and energy into recruiting and training. So 
even today, even with the education company and the active side now, like uh, 99% of Josh and I's time in general now is just recruiting talent, making sure that we're training talent and keeping our core or our culture alive and energetic. Mm. And so those three things are like a primary focus of, I would say seven out of eight hours of our day. Wow. Um, and so, you know, while they were on the phones, I had happened to meet Mohammed at that time who I, you know, gone side by side with building out his virtual assistant company. And literally it was crazy at 7am I would meet with him and we'd build one process. He'd implement it by 9am. Then we meet again. And then he'd implement, we'd meet at 12pm and then 2pm and then 4pm. And we did that every day for like three or four months until finally I woke up and I was like, all right, I feel really solid about our foundation. Let's start recruiting again. Mm. The speed that you implement stuff is I, I can't fathom it. You guys work so hard. Like you're probably the two hardest working people I know, um, or, or two of the most. So I'm curious if you can talk about that. Like, I feel like I've heard you talking more about work-life balance and, and trying to have that in your, in your life and in your relationship. There's a lot of, um, husband and wife teams out there small that are starting this real estate business. Can you just kind of talk about keeping that dynamic in check as you're building and you're working together and, and still having a life outside of work. I think, I think first and foremost, it's important to know that if you're getting into business with your significant other, mm -hmm. it better be because you both are passionate about it. Um, so one thing people, you know, people ask us this question a lot and we love what we do. And naturally it's a lot of the conversations that we have now outside of that. Yeah. There is a component of where, you know, we have hobbies. We like to go out on the lake. We have uh, a boat and we love to go boating. We love to be around friends. Um, but the reality of it is too, like you both have to be passionate about what you're doing because if one person's not, it's not going to last. Mm. And that's where I see a lot of it. A lot of couples not working out in businesses because one's really the driving force of, Hey, do this with me, do this with me, do this with me. And they're just like, well, okay, I'll do it. And they're not passionate about it. So yeah. you've got to be passionate. Yeah. yeah. I think, um, in life, you know, I don't know who's listening to this, this, that's a big believer in God, but like we go through seasons and the most important thing that we have to remember, especially if you're a couple in the business is that you're going to have to make a lot of sacrifices. And I feel like, um, and I will say like a lot of women in particular, like we don't like for, well, I, I understood the sacrifices that went into this and I was okay with it going into it. But a lot of times like wives in particular might not understand the level of sacrifice that goes into this, mm. especially if the husband's the one that's driving it. Mm. And so the reality is, is, you know, Josh in the beginning was working until 10 or 11 at night for, you know, five to six nights a week. Mm. Um, and so you just have to realize that going into it and know that's why it's so important to build talent and teams as fast as you can. Um, and I feel like in our industry in particular, so many people stay like a one or two man show too long because they're nervous to hire. And a lot of that's because of the unknown. They don't know how to onboard. They don't know how to pay. They don't know how to interview they don't have faith that someone would want to come work for like be the first hire they've ever had. Mm. And a lot of those are just barriers that mentally we have to get over and put ourselves in a communities where people have all been there, done that. Um, and so like they can learn from the process from other people. Cause if, 
no, nothing against YouTube university, but like you can only get so far with it. Yeah. You can definitely get deals done, but you building a team, if you've never done it in a corporate space or in anywhere else, like you have to have mentorship for that. It's not a skill set you were just born with. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's in such a good point from both of you guys, um, on the whole idea of, you know, having a partner there just because, Hey, you're here and you could do this role, I guess. Right. And then they're not as committed as you. I mean, I've seen that so many times happen and, um, it's just tough. Cause then there's friction. Cause it's like one person isn't really bought in and you're kind of pulling them along. So I appreciate you guys sharing on that. Um, Tiffany, I've heard you talk about like, I need to try this new marketing thing. Cause it's my job as you, as your mentor to explore if it's worth it or not. So I just was curious, like, what's your mindset around, like just trying all these different things for your students to learn? Like, does it work or does it not? Yeah. I just, um, when I was getting raised in the industry, I really didn't have a community that was willing to do that. And so I felt like I was making all, and by the way, we're all going to make mistakes in marketing. Like it's a part of the game. Um, but I just felt like I would ask for help or opinions on different services. And then the person never used them anyways. Mm. And so like, I'll give you an example. We literally just cut off a cold call company that I'm not going to mention a name to that literally we dropped $30,000 on in the last two months and got like one deal out of it. Um, maybe two. Um, and we did that strictly just for our community. Cause I, by no means to be direct needed to do it. Cause I have two cold call companies that are produced. They're my number one producing campaigns for the last four years. Um, and I did it because a lot of people kept asking me. So I was like, all right, I'll do it. The last thing I want you guys doing while, especially in my community is dropping 10, $20,000 on something. If it, if I can't at least say it works for me. Yeah. Um, so I did that, you know, I've dropped, like, I just dropped a postcard this last month that, you know, someone asked me to try and I was like, all right, I'll give it a shot. Although what I was doing was working. So I steered away from it just to test it and it didn't work. I didn't get one deal on it. So I dropped oh. 17 grand on that or 18 grand. What was um, that mailer that you sent? I, well, I haven't shared it yet. Cause I don't like sharing stuff that doesn't uh, perform. So okay, you okay. guys won't be seeing it. Okay. Okay. Fair um, enough. <laughs> um, but I just feel like to keep like for, I just don't want you guys to make the same mistake. So let me make it first. And ultimately, you know, I want to uphold a superior reputation in the industry. So I want people to know that they can come into my environment and allow me to test it. Um, mm. and obviously because I do that, I can go to these vendors and be like, look, I'm going to test this. And by the way, we have a big community that will want to use you if you're, um, if you're successful with us, but I'm not paying full price. I'm going to test this out. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, I don't get it for free, but at least I'm, you know, able to use our community. So that way you guys all get discounts if it does work. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's good. We're pretty much always saying have Tiffany and Josh use them. What did they say about that? Post <laughs> yeah. them in your small group. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, now some of it I've tested have worked and it's been awesome, like certain types of lists and stuff, but I have tested a couple campaigns lately that I've probably blown about 60 grand just testing out stuff. Wow. Well, we thank you for your second. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, so Josh, let me ask you, like, not don't give away the secret sauce on it, but you guys seem to have a sales philosophy that's different from a lot of other folks. I mean, pretty much everybody that's come in that I've seen is doing this other, totally other thing. 
I know we came in, we were doing one call close and it was just, it was just very different in, in terms of like philosophy. So can you give me like, what's your philosophy behind doing sales and how does it differ from kind of the mainstream stuff you see out there? Yeah. Um, that's a great question. I, I, the main thing I would say is we want to focus on not being that greasy, slimy salesperson. Desperate dick. Yeah. <laughs> that's what we like to call it in our office. <laughs> don't, don't be desperate. Don't have that commission breath, but I mean, yeah. let's think about it. You know, most, most of most salespeople are pushing for the outcome, right? They're pushing for the clothes, pushing for the clothes, the car salesman. Um, when you go to buy your car, it's probably like, Hey, let's get you in the car. Let's get you to test drive it. Let's get you, let's get you to take this home tonight. Right. And what, what's that do that pushes you away? Like, yo, let me make my own decision. Um, and, and just through reading and doing some research and, and things of that nature, I started to see that, especially through sales studies, um, most of us as human beings, we respond way better to people who don't act like that slimy, greasy salesperson. Um, so then I started to challenge myself in all of my sales conversations. How could I have this posture of, Hey, I don't need you. Right. Um, if we, if we can have a working relationship, I add value, you add value, then great. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't need your property. I don't need to work with you but I would love to help you if I can. And really transitioning from a salesperson to more of a helps person mm. um, has helped a lot. So, and uh, to talk about the one call closes, I think, again, that goes back to pushing for that specific outcome, but not only that, but uh, I'll, I'll drop this, this gold nugget. Um, Spin Selling, S-P-I-N Selling is a book that I read that talks specifically about the one call close. Mm. And it talks about the difference between high ticket item sales and low ticket item sales. Uh, high ticket item sales, naturally people are more hesitant to make uh, a buying decision because there's tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars on the line. You know, most people make 30, 50, 70, maybe a hundred thousand dollars a year. So making a mistake on a 50, hundred or $200,000 property could be very costly, you know, mm. versus if I'm on the phone and I'm trying to sell some sort of service, that's, you know, 50 bucks. If I made a mistake on buying a service that just didn't work for 50 bucks. Hey, look, I can overcome that. So mm -hmm. naturally it's a lot easier to make a quicker uh, buying decision on a $50 item versus a $50,000 item. Mm. How does that tie into um, your hiring strategy? Because personally, when I see that someone has a bunch of prior sales experience, sometimes I'm almost a little hesitant because they have a lot of patterns built in. And then I found this pattern, uh, this situation where I get on the phone and they're a little pushy with me. They're maybe a little aggressive with me. And, and I could see how that might work with those transactional ones. Um, but those high ticket items and the emotional sale that we're in with homes, I don't know. It just makes me think maybe not a good fit. So I'm just curious how that affects your hiring strategy. Yeah, I, I agree. We, we prefer to bring people in who have zero sales experience and, really the way I like to look at this is my goal is to find someone who's a B or C player and train them into being an A player. Mm. These A players who on paper have a track record of closing high volume of sales. The reality is they think that they know it all. So when they come into your organization, they're not being coachable. They're not growth oriented. They're not a core value fit because they're being disrespectful. They're not focused on their growth. They're not focused on their self-service. They're not respectful, all of these things. Mm -hmm. um, so we found more success finding those BC players and training them up to be that A player. 
and and I another way I like to uh, compare this is, I think I heard it on uh, on the radio. I think it was was a wise hire or indeed they talk about finding the needle in a haystack when it comes to recruiting. I like to shift that because of the onboarding and the training that we've put in place and how good we've we've gotten at it. I can now go recruit and look for hay in the haystack mm, mm-hmm. and make them into the needle in the haystack. I think that it's important though to note that it's not about a player skill set. It's about we still want to recruit people with a player culture fits, attitude, they're coachable. Mm-hmm. They just might not understand sales yet per se. Mm-hmm. So I, I think you should define that between like a BC player because yeah, I think it's hard, at least in our industry or really probably any industry, to take someone who's already making a ton of money and then convince them to come into a role where it takes them six to 12 months to build up a queue again. Yes. Versus someone that was, you know, making, you know, 15 to $20 an hour, and then they can make similar, but then over the course of time, they will make a lot more money as they build their queue. Yeah. Yeah. A player mindset, but Correct. you know, B, B skill set, you know, they haven't been on the phone a ton, those types of things. Well, yeah, I guess it goes back to what's on paper. Yeah. Right. They're, what's they're on paper. A, a B or C on paper based on results. Right. But their mindset, 100% core value fit, mm-hmm. growth oriented and coachable. Mm. So a lot of people listening to this are probably going to be in that position of they, maybe it's them and their partner, them and their brother, their sister haven't really brought on that first important hire. Um, if it's a, just a two man or one man show, what do you think is the next important hire? And like, can you just give a little bit of advice on the mindset for those people who are scared to make that jump? Yeah. I, I want to dive into this first. I, I think it's different for every person because people have different skill sets. Mm. So if, if you and your partner are great at locking up deals, then what we need to do is we need to free up your time to make sure you're doing more of those activities. Mm-hmm. Whereas if it's a partnership that's horrible at sales and locking up deals, then we need to find someone who is way better than you at locking up deals. So first and foremost, we need to identify what do we need to do to create revenue today? You know, going back to what you had asked us when we fired everyone, what was it that we focused on? Revenue today. Mm-hmm. With revenue, I can hire more people, I can invest more in marketing, and I can really build out the systems and, and truly the foundation to help us build this thing the right way. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's a good word. That's a good word. Um, yeah. So, I mean, when we first started, even to this day, I have like anxiety attacks doing task stuff. Like <laughs> even in college, I never took notes. I, you know, I thank God I got good grades without taking any notes or studying. Um, but I just like, it gives me anxiety to have to check box task. And so I knew when I started our company, the very first person I needed to hire was someone who loved that supportive type role. Mm-hmm. Um, and I liked being on the sales side or doing anything, but doing task driven things. Mm. Uh, so I think that it just depends on the skill set of the partnership. If they're both really good at sales, they should solely be focused on revenue. Mm. So hiring for complementary skills right off the bat, don't hire a, a, a mini me of you. And then no one's, you know, keeping track of the books or the TC work and things are falling apart. Yeah. No one's paying bills and yeah, yeah. <laughs> that'd be a bad deal. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's step, step back. You guys had a big, tough flip to start your career. I might be misquoting this, but I think it was, you lost six, six figures on a flip and 
you know, that'll, that'll get you. So can you just tell me, give me the story on how that, how that happened and how that's impacted you today and your business? In short, um, one, we relied on a realtor to give, give us an ARV instead of running our own numbers because we didn't really know any better. And of course the realtor like fluffed their numbers. Um, and then two, we paid a contractor in advance and he also screwed up a ton of things. Um, and he stole our money. Then we blew money on a lawsuit that didn't go anywhere. Um, and unfortunately after that loss, we still didn't learn a lesson and a couple more properties. We lost a little bit of money on because we relied on a realtor's ARV. And so now we're really big about running our own numbers. And then we do, especially for flips, we do run them all by our agent, but our agent also lists, he's the highest listing agent of rehabs in the city. He's like the number one ranked guy in the city. Mm. And so I think it's important that if you're working with an agent that's newer because they're hungry, like no problem, just don't rely on their numbers because they don't know the game. Mm. And, um, especially in a market like ours, where our price point is so low and our margins are slimmer than say the West coast, like a flip here, you know, up until recently, we were okay making 18 to 20 grand on a flip. So if you're off by, you know, 10 grand or something like this, the flip was not worth doing. Mm -hmm. So, um, so we just learned our lesson the hard way. And another lesson we actually learned this last year. Uh, which this is, I think, really valuable for anyone listening was we lost money on a deal because um, we didn't stick to our buy box. And we're really big now about sticking to our buy box. And what we learned in the first year of our business was that Josh and I do not do well doing gut properties. Like it's just too stressful. Um, we're really good at turnkey, like affordable first time home buyer properties. Mm -hmm. And this house came into our queue, it was a modular home. And the comps were the exact same build, same builder, everything. Only one was built before 1976. And we didn't know like that, that was a Fannie Freddie rule mm. that Fannie Freddie doesn't lend anything before 1976. I think it's June, June like something. 13th. Of oh, and wow. so yeah, very um, specific. I'll remind you again, by the way, that hey, I told for, him not to do it for the record. This thing was locked in contract. We were going to sell it and make 35,000 until the day of closing lender calls us and says, can't do the deal. It's not loanable. Oh, so we put it back on the market. We get multiple offers and then literally no lender would lend it. So we had no other option, but to sell it to a cash buyer at that point. And we lost $15,000. You lost more than that. It was 15. You should have listened I, to I'll me. pull up the books. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's uh. I had a flip that I did. It took six months. I partnered with someone on it 50, 50. And when I was all said and done, I made like $87. Oh, well, Hey, at least you didn't lose money. Yeah. 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 But you lost probably a lot of sleep. My time. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Less, a lot of sleep. Exactly. That's, you know, going back to that six, uh, six figure loss that we had. Um, if I had like any recommendation as a result of that, if you know, you have a loss, Take I mean, it we, as fast as possible. Yeah, take the loss as fast as possible. We lived with this for 18 months, eight, a year and a half, knowing that this thing was going to be 50, 100, $150,000 loss. I wish we would have just offloaded it immediately when we know that. And even, we just kept holding on thinking, oh, we can fix this problem. Even for more of a loss, I would have done it because I mean, the time, the energy, and just the peace of mind that you have not have like having that over your, your head the entire time mm -hmm. is well worth it. 
Well, so we're in a situation like this, and I know there's a ton of other people that said, let's just wholetail it, right? That's the big thing right now. Let's just wholetail it. We'll clean it out. We're going to list it. We would make 10, but now we're going to maybe make 30. You list it at your price to make 30. No one bites. So then you lower the price 5K, and then you lowered another 5K. And so we're in the spot where we did this because we wanted to keep our word on the on a contract that we just got a little too close to the end on. Yeah. Um, but you guys are saying you just got to bite the bullet and whatever, even if you break even, get it off the books because it's so stressful. Yeah, and you're it's just stressful. Yes. So we have, um, you know, the market shifted a little bit lately. And um, we had a, a rehab. We just recently, well, I shouldn't say recently, about right when the market was shifting, we listed it almost two months ago. And if this would have been five months ago, it would have had multiple offers over ask, but the market slowed down. And unfortunately we made the mistake of listing it way over plan because beforehand that's what was working. And so we had to keep dropping the price. And I wish that we could go back and just been like, why didn't we drop the price to what the comp said it was worth in the first place? Cause then we would have saved us a month of not thinking about it. Another month of interest, you know, all that. Mm. So you know, as the market shifts, especially we all really need to understand that things are going to take more time and our conversion cycle is going to take longer mm -hmm. and don't list, um, like make sure we're all listing at aggressive prices to drive offers right now where, mm -hmm. you know, six months ago we would list 10, 20 grand over the comps just because it would fly off the shelf. Anyways, that's not the case yeah. anymore. Yeah. No. And to that point too, I think uh, the the types of properties that are going to be impacted the most are these wholesale type of properties because now buyers have options. Are they going to go buy this property that's as is that they have to put some you know sweat equity into, or are they going to go buy the house that's already renovated and, and moving ready? Mm -hmm. um, I I personally think that buyers are going to go more for these renovated houses versus the ones that are as is. Yeah, yeah, that's a good word. We've just personally decided we're not going to do wholesales for the next while because it just, you've got, if you're doing 25 deals at a time and then you've got one that you're holding on to to wholesale, and it's like, it's like the 80, 20 rule. You're spending 80% yeah, of your time. It's just distraction. I mean, we talk about Tiki trail every freaking day. Of my office. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, well, the other thing I was curious about with you guys, uh, as you're building things out, it's like, you've just been growing and adding things like Kajabi, the video training to onboard people and like adding more sales coaches and like just growing and growing. I'm sure you have a vision. So like five years from now, where do you see results driven being? I think five years is almost too long into the future to look at because we've grown exponentially like quarter over quarter right now. Um, I guess what I, how I'd like to compare it is like a Ferrari versus a Ford Focus. And I feel like a lot of education companies go for mass volume and they spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on marketing, but they're the Ford focus of education. And I want our client experience to continue to evolve into a premium experience. And with that comes like making sure that we have fulfillment lockdown, that we continue to always improve and add more training and more onboardings. Um, and you know, while we're doing that, we also have to think about our own staff. How do we create career paths and different layers and levels of coaches that support our students? Um, so that's all stuff that internally we've been focused on and we've been attracting top talent. So one thing that we 
are doing differently in education than per se the active side is that our business coaches we're attracting have 10 plus years of sales sales management experience. Mm -hmm. And so we want to put the right people in front of our students. Um, mm. And so that's been our primary focus. We have a vision in the future to continue to support if say someone comes in as a one to three man show, we help them build a team and then they need a team lead and they need other services that help continue to scale them up. Like that'll be the next core focus that we support them on. Mm. Um, but for now, like our core focus is the client experience. And until we continue to master that, we're not going to like keep scaling it too fast. Mm -hmm. Um, because I want to make sure when people come in, like they know that they have a whole staff of support on my end that they can pick up the phone and call at any given time. Right. Yep. So, so I guess said in a different way, instead of having a wide impact, which I feel a lot of educators are focused on, we want to have a very deep impact mm. with the people that we work with. Mm. Uh, and that's really the vision right now. Keep the quality super, super high. And if the quantity is, I mean, it's not low, you have a ton of members, but keep it focused. Exactly. Yeah. So we've, um, you know, a lot of people ask us like, why don't you coach newbies? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And it's like, look, we're just mastering what we're good at. And until we really maximize that, I have no intention right now to go after something that like, isn't my core focus. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, you know, it's been awesome because we're, you know, we're so niched down to building teams and onboarding team members that we're complementary to other people's programs. So if a student comes in that doesn't necessarily work for us, then we can pass them off to another program or refer them to friends in the industry versus necessarily competing against my peers. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. I really see us as more collaborative partners with our peers versus competitive. Yeah. Yeah. I totally see that for you guys too. Do, um, do you want to share a little bit about the, the different programs and events you guys have available right now? Yeah. So, um, right now we're really focused on continuing to grow our two day workshop. Um, we also have a four week virtual group where we go over all of our systems, marketing, data management, acquisition scripts, and dispo processes of more of the foundation. And one thing that we've really stuck to, to this day is that I don't care if someone's doing two deals a month or 50 deals a month, you're going to start at the foundation with me because I feel like even me, as you guys see us evolve, I'm always like testing and optimizing my system to whatever's happening in the industry. And I think it's important that we all start with the foundation, tweak anything that we need to tweak. And then we come to the two day workshop that we host almost on a monthly basis now. And that's really where we focus about 75% of the event on how we recruit onboard and train primarily our sales team. Um, and then from there we have a six month program, which you're in, but ultimately we try to funnel everyone into that process because we believe in following the process. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Can you talk about the six month program? I mean, I know what's there, but for those that don't like what, is, what all comes with that? Yep. So, um, so we've structured it really different than others in the industry where, you know, most people think of masterminds and they think this big group and you're like on a weekly zoom and you get together quarterly, which we probably should do more often of that. Um, but we decided to make it a combination of group and one-on-one -on -one. and not only that, but we wanted to become mentors for your staff because one of the biggest things we struggled with as we were growing was how do we properly train and lead a staff while wearing a thousand hats? 
And so the most important piece as we continue to grow is to try to keep our revenue consistent. So we have a one-on-one structure in that group. We have a group setting with the owners. And then we also have mentorship for people's sales staff, where we put people into what we call sales pods and we coach and do call audits on their calls with sellers. Um, and I think it's, I think it's one of the biggest missed things in our industry. It's like, you think about LeBron James, like even at his talent and his, his skill set, when he's in playoff game seven or game six, and he's going into game seven, I guarantee you that coach is watching film with him before that game. They're pausing, playing and describing what they need to do to make sure that they win the next game. Mm-hmm. And I feel like our industry takes call audits and that process for granted. And they just skip over it thinking they don't have time to listen to their salespeople's calls and follow a check the box process. And that's where people miss the boat. They think that sales is an art instead of a science. But when you have a check the box process, you have us, you be, you make sales a science and then it becomes mm. scalable. Mm. So like, that's the big reason why so many folks stay one or two salespeople is because you look at companies that are these massive mortgage companies or massive insurance companies that have a thousand phone salespeople on a floor. It's because they follow one process mm. and it, maybe it's not even the most perfect process, but it provide it results in revenue mm. and, um, and it's trainable, it's coachable, and you can hold someone accountable to a process. So that's one of the biggest things that we push in that group on top of daily sales training and quarterly trainings. But the biggest thing is, is, you know, adults learn in various ways. So it's not one way fits all. So that's why we try to focus on daily sales training, quarterly call audits, training videos, one-on-ones groups. And so we're doing it in so many different ways that hopefully we're embedding this muscle memory that someone can eventually just repeat the process versus having to read a script. Mm-hmm. Yep. I love the LeBron James analogy because, you know, some people treat it like they're just going out and we just play games only. They don't, they don't practice. They don't warm up before they don't watch game tape. They don't talk with their coach one-on-one. And it's like, LeBron's not LeBron. He's not even in the NBA if that's what he's doing. And that's, I think the biggest change for us is that it's really like getting back into sports. Like we're practicing every day. We're doing two a days really. We're doing our daily trainings. We're listening to calls with you guys. We're doing our one-on-ones and listening to calls. And it's like, your team can't help but get better quickly with that much practice. It's just, talk about science. It's science, right? Like if you're putting in that much time, you're getting to that 10,000 hours of experience so much faster versus just pounding the phones. And a lot of times what I feel is making the same mistakes, right? Over and over, reinforcing bad habits sometimes. Yep. 100% agree. Yeah. Yeah. And, and honestly, uh, going back to what you had asked me before, I really want to highlight this because I, I, I want to make sure nobody listening to this overlooks this. I feel like everyone sees sales as an art, meaning you're just a natural born salesperson or you're mm-hmm. not, right? Mm-hmm. You just got it, right? Versus uh, it being a science and knowing that if I do A and B, I'm always going to get C. When it becomes a numbers game, it becomes predictable. You can reverse engineer. You can start to plan, hold your team accountable. And mm. and not just accountable in the conversations. Yeah, it's an important piece. But even from the leading indicators as well. Mm-hmm. When you have a sales process and it becomes predictable, now you can reverse engineer and really, really hold your team accountable and coach them the right way. Right. And, and I, I bring that up because you asked me, you know, how do I view sales? 
And how is that different than what a lot of people might see? And I think that's one thing that's, I think is it sets mm. us and our program apart is that we view sales as a science and not an art. Right. When you have that process that you can point to, this is a process call. This is an offer call versus everyone's kind of doing it their own way. You can't really keep people accountable because they're doing things at different times and saying things in different ways. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And then not only that, but it's really hard to understand what's happening or what's not happening. That's leading to lack of the results. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, so where can folks go and find you guys, learn about you, learn about your events? Um, you can visit us at tiffanyandjoshhigh.com or you can um, find us on Instagram. It's Josh High Official and Tiffany High Official. Okay, awesome. Well, um, that's that's it for me, for you guys. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, this has been really, really good and I'm excited to see you guys at the end of this week. Yeah, see you in a couple of days. Yeah, it's gonna be a lot of fun, man. I appreciate you having us on too and um, looking forward to seeing you here this weekend. Awesome. All right, sounds good, guys. Thanks for listening to the Level 10 Podcast. You can head over to level10official.com to learn more about our courses, coaching, and everything else that we offer. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, like, and share with your friends. Go out there and take it to the next level.